don't let me fall in the river. Don't let me go under. Catch me. David Friedman's song, rendered so sensitively by Larry Sharp, is a cry for help. The person in this musical story is saying, I am a human being. I am worth saving. I'm reaching out to you. Will you reach out to me? As Unitarian Universalists, we practice saying and answering yes. We practice our faith based upon forgiveness, compassion, and love. In fact, this year's General Assembly theme was Love Reaches Out. Our UU faith derives from our ancestors in the Christian tradition who struggled mightily so that we could arrive at this time and place. Our heretically inclusive religious heritage supports us and informs the liberal theology of our saving faith. And in large part, we have Calvin to thank for it. Yes, Protestant reformer John Calvin, the attorney-turned-theologian, greatly influenced the dogma, doctrine, and practice of Christianity as the one true church fractured. The Inquisition was horrific and meant to retain the almost total power and control of the Pope and the institutions of the church over nations and principalities, not to mention to retain massive wealth, including vast expanses of land. Of course, the charges brought by the Inquisition were based upon right belief and right practice. You would think that anyone protesting such a system would abhor engaging in similar domestic terrorism. Yet Calvin participated in the persecution, torture, and execution of people who did not conform to his determination of orthodoxy. He truly felt that Michael Servetus should be put to death for denouncing Trinitarianism and therefore the divinity of Jesus the Christ. For Calvin, salvation was only available to God's elect, who were definitely Trinitarian. Servetus's heresy could not be allowed to spread. It was an affront to Almighty God. And as a result, Michael Servetus is one of our martyrs of our Unitarian faith. Yet Calvin's theological and ecclesiastical work continues to inform and underpin many Protestant denominations today, including the Presbyterian Church, including Unitarian Universalism. You see, among other things, there is a humanist connection with Calvin. Perhaps you know that after receiving his Master of Arts degree in 1528, John Calvin went on to study law under two of the most famous jurists of the time, Pierre de l'Estoile and Andrea Alciari. L'Estoile based his approach to legal study and interpretation upon tradition. 
whereas Alciati's approach was from a humanist perspective. The Italian Alciati came to be credited as the founder of the French school of legal humanists. It is known that Calvin tended toward L'Estoile's traditionally based arguments. Still, absent any personal writings regarding his innermost spiritual and religious struggles, scholars surmise that Calvin could well have been influenced by Alciati and other humanists he knew. No doubt, Calvin engaged in scholarly discussions and debates with them. Then, along with studying the Bible and available writings from the early church, Calvin came to understand that he must leave the Roman communion and follow the route of Protestantism. Knowing just that bit of Calvin's mental and spiritual process is enlightening. You know, sometimes without meaning to, even well-educated, well-read intellectuals can categorize a fellow human being as the other, whatever that may be. Once a person receives that brand, it becomes possible to dismiss and dehumanize them. For many religious liberals, Calvin and Calvinism conjures up thoughts of predestination, election, as in only God's elect shall be saved, human sinfulness from birth, and extreme intellectualism. It's tempting from our perspective in these times to cast Calvin as the other and to distance ourselves from what now seems so obviously not right. Knowing and claiming our heritage in all its complexity and nonlinear messiness can really help us better understand who we are. Knowing and claiming our religious ancestors allows us to better practice and grow to truly believe that we can reach out in love when someone cries, Catch me. I am worth saving. Let us pause for a moment and let some of this sink in. This is all about the ultimate power of love and our value as human beings, our inherent worth and dignity for simply being who we are. Unitarians and Universalists derive from the Protestant Reformation. Unitarians and Universalists in Europe also developed in part from the doctrines and practices of John Calvin, even though they were opposing some of those doctrines. Calvinism, in one form or another, helped inform the covenantal nature, laws, and practices of the Pilgrims and the Puritans in colonial America. Congregationalists and Baptists derived from the Pilgrims and the Puritans. Unitarianism and Universalism in the U.S. derive from all of these several beginnings, specifically over and against the Calvinist doctrines of human sinfulness from birth and salvation being only for the elect of God. Still, you do see there is, and there is, a Calvinist influence. Calvinism helped inform the development of democracy 
and the foundation of the workings of governmental institutions for these United States. Therefore, along with our European beginnings and the Protestant Reformation, our U.S. Unitarian and Universalist heritage derives in significant part from Calvinism. Now, this summary is an oversimplification, to be sure, but hopefully illustrates yet another example of our seventh principle of the deep interconnectedness of all that is. Now, at this time, I would like to make room for another famous Calvin, who's a chronic thinker and would-be reformer. Here are his words of wisdom. You can present the material, but you can't make me care. Many of you may recognize this pronouncement as coming from the precocious six-year-old philosopher Calvin of the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. Now, there is a connection between this Calvin and our Calvin. The comic strip creator Bill Watterson named Calvin after John Calvin. Did you know that? The stuffed animal tiger character, Hobbes, was named after Thomas Hobbes, a 17th century political philosopher. No wonder their discussions were so deep and insightful. For instance, consider the following exchange between Calvin and Hobbes. There's a new girl in our class. Well, what's her name? Who knows? Is she nice? Who cares? Not me. Do you like her? No! Now, on the surface, this is a classic exchange that illustrates the developmental stage of learning how to relate to the other. In this case, stereotypically, little boys hate little girls because they seem to be so very different. And it is this very difference that makes little girls seem so fascinating, which in turn, turn is very confusing, which causes Calvin to feel confused and frustrated and angry. He is, after all, a very deep, creative thinker who figures things out and then is able to place them in neat categories, thus being able to move on to more difficult issues for contemplation. How dare this girl throw a wrench into all he thinks he knows? What if we think of this particular comic strip story as a metaphor for, say, our historic Unitarian Universalist relationship with John Calvin? There's an old theologian in our distant UU history. Hmm, what's the name? Oh, it's John Calvin. Is he important? Who cares? Not me. That was a long time ago. Do you want to get to know him? No. Now, there are all sorts of reasons given for not learning about our history, any history, be it that a family, church, community, country, planet, you name it. For one thing, it seems so daunting. For another, 
it seems so dull and boring. After all, it's history. That's all in the past. It happened a long time ago. We've progressed since then. Because of my love of story, history has forever been a source of excitement and fascination. These are stories of real people, people very like you and me. These people lived, loved, and suffered just as we do. And because of them, we are. If we choose to pay attention, we are the heirs and descendants of variously creative and brilliant folk who acted according to their circumstances. One sermon is nowhere near enough time to delve into the complex development of John Calvin's theology, which derived from his particular context. It is intriguing, though, that Unitarians and Universalists have so long described ourselves as over and against many of his doctrines and the consequent religious governance and practices. Yet we share a history. We have things in common. We are family. Would it surprise you to know that many of our Presbyterian friends and neighbors share our values of all-inclusive love? It all comes down to the question of, who is worth saving? Universalists are so named due to their belief that all are saved because a loving God would not condemn God's beloveds to eternal damnation. At the beginning of the 20th century, Universalists and Unitarians alike responded to reports of gross social injustice in urban settings. Unitarian minister Frederick Lucian Hosmer penned these words that we sang. He penned them in 1908. Forward through the ages in unbroken line, move the faithful spirits at the call divine, gifts in differing measure, hearts of one accord, manifold the service, one the sure reward. These stirring sentiments offered an alternative to the militaristic language of these still familiar onward Christian soldiers. Forward through the ages was a hymn that both reflected and provided musical inspiration for the social gospel movement. Wider grows the vision, realm of love and light. For it we must labor till our faith is sight. Our faith, then as now, is creation of the beloved community. Our response, discussed and practiced at this year's General Assembly, is to reach out in love when someone cries, Catch me. I am worth saving. Our saving story includes another Calvin who speaks to us from our collective U.S. history. John Calvin Coolidge, yes, he dropped the John, served as our 30th president, having been sworn into office at 2.30 a.m. on the morning of August 3rd, 1923. President Warren G. Harding died suddenly. So-called Silent Cal stepped in, as was his duty as vice president. Calvin Coolidge received the nickname of Silent Cal because he rarely spoke with the exception of formal public speeches. 
When he did speak in meetings or in social situations, he used few words. Coolidge was a frugal Yankee. Religiously, he was a Congregationalist. Politically, he was a Republican who is said to have determined to restore the dignity and prestige of the presidency when it had reached the lowest ebb in our history, in a time of extravagance and waste. Having served as the governor of Massachusetts, Coolidge was elected president of the United States in 1924 as a very conservative Republican based upon promises of prosperity and reducing government spending. He cleaned up the corruption of the previous Harding administration. He gave the people what they wanted, a return to moral values, Calvinism, and stability during a time when modernity was happening all too rapidly. Of course, the people wanted success and prosperity. Coolidge's approach was a hands-off policy for businesses, along with tax cuts for them. He also worked to limit government spending. The people perceived Coolidge as a strong, principled father figure, someone upon whom they could count. However, when it came time to run for a second term, Silent Cal is reported to have handed a slip of paper to journalists that read, I do not choose to run for president in 1928, period. With the hindsight of our privileged historical context, we can observe that President Coolidge's hands-off approach to business, combined with his inaction of not providing support for farmers and others in needs of some assistance, led in part to the economic collapse that signaled the beginning of the Great Depression. This inaction and his responsibility for its consequences is something that is reported he soberly acknowledged later. In his biography, A Puritan in Babylon, William Allen White noted that Coolidge admitted to friends that he had spent his presidency avoiding the big problems. His religious convictions, Congregationalist, by way of Puritanism and informed by Calvinism, played a major role in his approach to the presidency and is, in, as is reflected in his speeches. Here's an excerpt from President Coolidge's address at the unveiling of the equestrian statue of Bishop Francis Abbey in Washington, D.C. on October 15, 1924. Our government rests upon religion. It is from that source that we derive our reverence for truth and justice, for equality and liberty, and for the rights of mankind. Unless the people believe in these principles, they cannot believe in our government. There are only two main theories of government in the world. One rests in righteousness, the other rests in force. One appeals to reason, the other appeals to the sword. One is exemplified in a republic, the other is represented by a despotism. The history of government on this earth has been almost entirely a history of the rule of force held in the hands of a few. Under our Constitution, America committed itself to the practical application of the rule of reason with the power held in the hands of the people. 
He goes on to say, the government of a country never gets ahead of the religion of a country. There is no way by which we can substitute the authority of law for the virtue of man. Of course, we can help to restrain the vicious and furnish a fair degree of security and protection by legislation and police control, but the real reforms which society in these days is seeking will come as a result of our religious convictions, or they will not come at all. Peace, justice, humanity, charity, these cannot be legislated into being. They are the result of a divine grace. So there you have it. In the words of a trinity of Calvins, we experience our common wrestling with the divine and what it means to be human. Out of all the billions and billions of stars and planets and galaxies and universes, we are here on this planet Out of all of the billions and billions of beings on this planet, we are here today as Unitarians and Universalists. We come from somewhere. We come from some great wisdom. We come from some great love. And while it is very true that, as our beloved little Calvin says, you can present the material, but you can't make me care, I think you do. I think you care because you're here. I trust your curiosity and creativity and capacity for compassion. I'm excited for the possibilities awaiting you as you challenge yourself to go deeper into the stories, the very human stories of our shared complex history. Our heretically inclusive religious heritage supports us and informs the liberal theology of our saving faith. And in large part, we have Calvin to thank for it. All three of them. So let us keep moving on, forward through the ages, in humility and gratitude. Let us keep moving on in love, reaching out to one another because we are all worth saving even though it isn't easy. And out of this amazing love, let us keep moving toward our goal of freedom, the freedom to be. Let it be.